Mike Flanagan is back with his latest gothic horror project, The Fall of the House of Usher, based loosely on the short story by Edgar Allan Poe. I noticed that they also incorporated a lot of other Edgar Allan Poe works, but we'll get into that. This reimagining tells the story of a super wealthy family, heirs to a huge pharma business that start dying off in November of 2023. Now, as it's October of 2023, it's always fun watching a show right before the events are supposed to occur. I liked it when I saw it in dark. I like it when I see it here. I think Netflix should do that with every show. But this is about Roderick Usher, CEO of Fortunato Pharmaceuticals, who's lost all six of his children, his six children being Frederick, mm-hmm. uh, Tamerlane, um, Victorine, uh, Gaming Mogul, Leo, um, PR head Camille, and Socialite Perry, mm-hmm. which they all have like long, elongated names, like Napoleon as opposed to Leo, um, uh, Prospero instead of Perry. But like, we'll address them by either or, I guess. With Mike Flanagan pilots, his shows, you know you're going to get something right off the bat. It's going to be a mystery slash horror genre, a story in a remote location that is shot well with a good cast that has been used in his previous projects. I'm sorry, that you call New York a remote location? I'm saying that when you're talking about the location in general, because it's mostly just around this house, at least in the first episode. Nah, I, I beg to differ. I think that the nice thing about him is he's worked up such he has such a built-in repertoire at this point. He can get whoever he wants, and he can use whatever location he well, wants. Well, think about it. You have Haunting at Hill House. That's basically around a house. Haunting at Blind Manor, <laughs> house. And then you have Midnight Mass, which is around its own island. But still, there's not many people on that island. Uh, and I, I would say that this one differs. Like, this is you're, you're identifying that there's the familiar, and then there's the surprising. And the surprising part of this entire show, I think, is how close it is to Succession. And also yes. Painkiller. And no, also not like, only no no not that knives out glass onion that's really the most that I got from it and then inheritance as well yeah but all of that is way different than what we're used to seeing in a Mike Flanagan project but I still felt the same as I do after the pilots of Haunting Hill House Haunting at Blind Manor Midnight Mass where I enjoyed I hope it that's a good thing but I I'm not sure exactly if it's going to be able to be good because I have differing opinions on all of his shows Haunting Hill House was great but Haunting at Blind Manor was disappointing. Midnight Mass, I thought, was fine, but I didn't think it was as good as it wanted to be. And you haven't ever seen The Midnight Club, because he also did that, like, kids version of it. The thing, though, is I think you're being too critical. I think this guy, whatever he comes out with, he usually writes most of it. He usually directs most of it. He's in charge of the entire project. Like, I I don't think that... I like Bly Manor. Like, I know it wasn't on the same level. You like the whole season of Bly Manor? Of Hill House. I, I was comparing it to Hill House. So at the time, I may have been, as you were saying, disappointed with some episodes. But at the same time, like, when we review so many shows like we do, as a whole, whenever I see Mike Flanagan's name pop up, I am a heck of a lot more excited about it than when I see J.J. Abrams' name pop up. Because he he may not stick the landing 100%, but he'll get there 80 90% of the I way. See, I mean, I see what you mean. His shows always have some type of whimsical thing And, like, the, the other show I was going to compare it to is Anne Rice's interview with a vampire. Because the whole premise of this is that you have... Um, the Roderick Usher guy, the CEO again, he invites his nemesis, the assistant U.S. attorney C. Augusti Dupin, Mm -hmm. to his childhood home, confessing all his crimes and revealing the causes of the deaths of his kids. And if you remember, at Haunting of Hill House, they did something similar where you bring everybody together and it's a a, um, wedding. And in the beginning of this, it's a funeral. (laughs) So so clearly, with Haunting of Hill House, it almost had a, a happier 
ending. That Almost, even the book, it did have a happy ending. Yeah, but like not all the characters. Like there was still tragedy and horror and, and elements of that. In this, the characters are way less sympathetic. They're much more like the succession characters in that way. And 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 I think that's leading them because we already know they die. Um, to to like a wretched ending. And you that's know? why I'm I think saying- I think he's like doubling down on the horror with this one. The only. The only holdback I'll say on that is the grandkid. It's almost predictable right now that nothing bad's going to happen yes. to her. Like, she's going to get her happy ending, which is dumb, because I feel like we shouldn't be able to predict anything at the first episode of a Mike Flanagan thing. You keep on saying Succession, but I really think it's more like Glass Onion, the sequel to Knives were, Out. Who is it? Um, One of the characters literally looks a little bit like Shiv. I think you're talking about... Com- oh, oh, Shiv? Yes, okay. she looks like Shiv. She was talking to the guy who was yes. like a replacement Tammy. Tom. I think you're talking about and, Tammy. And then there was also... Also, uh, his wife, like in real life, Kate Seagal, uh, Camille, she's playing, uh, she's talking about Tucker Carlson. Camille she's reminded about... me of Catherine Hahn from Glass Onion, but yeah. she's not a politician. No, I'm not saying it's not Glass Onion as well. It's a murder mystery. But at the same time, the personalities, everybody's vying. Everybody wants to have the money. It's it's literally a succession. The yes. funny thing is that instead of uh, the main head leader dying or the, the dad dying, it's actually the kids <laughs> Everyone that are all dying. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a flipperoo. But um, the other comparisons I'd make, which are, are kind of further off, Umbrella Academy, because, you know, all the kids in that are always vying for the guy's attention. Yes. Um, and then uh, Jumanji, because Jumanji. in the backflashes, when you had the two brother and the brother and the sister, and then there was like 1953 and then like 1962 and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, it just reminded me of the kids when we would see the flashback and the Robin Williams Jumanji. Oh, okay. You're talking about the original. Yes, all the right. original. And then also the changeling because of how crazy the the mom got or looked when she came out of that grave. Yes. Like the character, the main character in the changeling, when she gets all demented and, and demonic and, and her hair goes crazy, it kind of reminded me exactly of that. I um, thought the makeup for that was really good. I had a dash of the murder on the of the Orient Express mm-hmm. and also Magic the Order, which is a comic book by Mark Miller, but the costumes and the sense of magic that this has is closely related to those uh, comic books as well. Magic. What, magic, what magic, the, magic the order. What magic did you I'm see? saying you you know that there's something in the background. You know, I mean, like we get it when he's uh, looking at something random and he's just being haunted by these people. There's some sense of magic. Also, the raven as well. That always feels like a symbol for it. It feels like he sold something off to the devil. Like it has something to do like a supernatural element. Yes. But it's not magic. Magic, I think of like Harry Potter. Um, the other thing I was going to compare it to was Ryan Murphy horror anthology mm-hmm. series. Like Ryan, Ryan Murphy's always done the American Horror Story, and uh, you take that with what you will. But they always have frequent collaborators with that, and it feels like he low key Mike Flanagan, even though he keeps on releasing different shows with different titles and he's adapting different works. It, it kind of feels like he's doing exactly the same thing, except his is way better. Does I mean, yeah, yeah, no, 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 because he does have the same cast the in same, their planet. Like, way more than you'd even think, because we haven't seen uh, uh, the Midnight, um, the other one, the, the kid one that I already said, the Midnight Club, um, it, or a bunch of his movies. Like, he was bringing in people from his movies I as well. I was surprised to see Matt Saracen was showing up in this. I wasn't sure if he was going to join that casting, like, uh, casting reuse, but he was. And then Mark Hamill shows up. 
Yeah, Mark Hamill was a surprise. Mark Hamill's <laughs> really cool to see in this. I really like his character, the Pym character. He feels like a classic um, lawyer in some some like old 1950s film. Did you recognize him right away? Because I thought no. it was just a knockoff him. And then I got a closer look and I was like, oh, that's actually, they were able to get him. I, I, I absolutely think, though, that the MVP of this episode was Bruce Greenwood. His voice, while he's delivering this, I don't know what they do. They Maybe they add a filter to it. But he's like, okay, let's get into the Mike Flanagan in what he's familiar for doing, like what he loves to do. He loves jump scares. In fact, yes. I think he broke a record in the Midnight Club for the amount of jump scares that he had in, the, in, the kid in a version? TV show. <laughs> um, again, I say kid version. It just stars a bunch of kids that are all on like death row or all about to die because they all are, oh, geez, they all have okay. like cancer or something. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's depressing. But like, again, a lot of the kids that you saw in this were in that. The Ouija kid was in this because he did the Ouija thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, she played, uh, she she was also one of the kids in Haunting of Hill House, um, one of the th- three as a as a younger. Does that make sense? Yes. She wasn't yeah, one yeah, of the two yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there's a lot of kids in, in, in all these, but um, he loves Midnight, obviously Midnight Mass, the Midnight Club, and then this episode is called A Midnight Dreary. Yeah. Um, he loves rain. He loves old rickety houses. I was going to say he loves houses. Yeah, Hill House, he loves, Manor. You said that, yeah. Uh, he loves monologues. Um, it was also cool to see the mom's character, right? You always know her. Yes, name. Annabeth Gish. And then who she was married to in the Haunting of Hill House, playing the person that she had the affair with here, who was way meaner. Yes. Yeah. And it also way less beard too. With Annabeth Gish, it seems like she just is always typecast in the Flanagan shows as a mom who is always somewhat a haunted. scorned or angry. Yes. Mom. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did try to help them in Haunting of Hill House. And, uh, okay, so he loves monologues. He loves flashbacks, 1953, 1962, 1980, and 2023, but a few weeks earlier. Um, He also likes writing scenes that look like they should be performed on a stage, especially with the scene transitions where, like, he'll, like, glide into a different shot. And I remember in Haunting of Hill House, there was that, like, no cut episode about the one shot episode the episode um (laughs) again very reminiscent to succession and how they also had (laughs) a a thing like that but yeah i like the scene transitions his his incorporation of religion which i get is always tied in with horror somehow but he he really likes to pound that in um especially with eliza usher Uh, for some reason they didn't want to get her embalmed um, like that was against her faith or something. Remember, they just buried yeah, her in the backyard right. and then she like clawed and then out. she gets out. I have a theory about that, that she might not have been dead. Now, one of my favorite scenes was when he was addressing the district attorney, right? Yeah. And, and he was in the room and he's like, my mom's behind you. And we saw her behind <laughs> him, but we didn't like see the full version of her. And yes. it's like, he's, she's either in his head or, but like that was a really cool shot. And really good horror. And doesn't even decide to, to, to turn around. Yes. And, and that guy was pretty famous too. He's played by Carl Lumley from, um, and anybody who hasn't seen Carl Lumley's, I, I wouldn't imagine you would, but like click onto his Wikipedia page because unlike most people who have like the last 10 years, some picture yeah. of them on the red carpet or something, he has his high school photo from 1969. <laughs> um, he's also tv's first black superhero mantis which i think was a show in the 1990s um and so yeah uh we've gone through basically the familiar stuff that we're expecting to see in um mike flanagan stuff he doesn't like to condense his titles either because remember with the haunting of hill house they'd done other previous adaptations of it but they've like shortened it to the haunting Right. right and then with this uh the fall of the house of usher has been adapted almost like 
a handful, or a handful times, of times right? in, in films, but none in the last 50 years have used the full title. They've either condensed it to The House of Usher or House of Usher. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's weird because his first few films that he started off on, uh, Absentia, Oculus, Hush, one word, one word, one word. Mm-hmm. Suddenly he's just like, you know what? I like to extend it. I like to make it a mouthful. Um, and, and the thing I, I think I give him the most credit for is that he doesn't take like long source material stuff and then adapt it. He takes really short stories yeah. and then he piggybacks on it, makes it way more creative. And then he like makes it his own. Uh, look at Game of Thrones. Look at 13 Reasons Why, Handmaid's Tale, why they get bashed so much is because they just run out. And then it's clear that the showrunners just don't know how they to write stuff. Plan. Yeah. But this guy, it's like he uses it as a launching ground. Um, and, and so... Pontiac Hill House was less than 100 pages or something crazy yeah. like that, right? But when I started this episode, I was like, okay, they want us to give him that leeway that he's been in so many other... Th- that he's done so mu- many other projects because they introduce us to so many characters here. And if it was any other director or writer, I would be way more hesitant or uh, speculative whether or not they were going to be able to cash in on or, or like pull it off. I think because the way that he introduced so many. He, yeah, it's true. But the way he was able to introduce them, I felt like was structured very nicely. Like I didn't feel like I was being overloaded. It was fast. I had to pause it. I, I kept down. I kept the dates of the day that they died. There was November 9th, November 11th, November 13th, November 17th november 18th i guess on rewatch it would be cool to to see this but it was just we were expected to get acclimated to them fast and i'm sure they will try to give them more do you think that they you weren't acclimated to them as much as you wanted to be um again it's just the intro episode so i can't i can't judge that but lots of the characters i saw were playing way more heightened versions or eccentric personalities than we're used to seeing like you were talking about with glass onion but like in hill house don't you remember how grounded those guys were like there was the most famous we got was a writer guy who still was acting human like he would go to readings at a bookstore and that would be his height of fame but they also lived, I think, in New York or something. So it wasn't like they weren't in the big city. It was just that their family wasn't as nutty as this one. Well, I want to focus on something you said because you said Mike Flanagan, he focuses on horror. And this is obviously going to be a horror TV show. But after the first 20 minutes, after we get what happens to Roderick's character when he is a kid, it felt like it did a strange turn into comedy. Wait, wait what are you talking about when Roderick after, was a kid? After Annabeth Gish awakes from the dead and kills uh, kills Longfellow and we start getting introduced no, no, to- you got to like recap. Okay, so like he invites the district attorney over. The district attorney is uh, is like, uh, why am I here? I know your kids have died. I feel bad about that. And he's like, no, I'm going to spill the beans. I'm going to tell you everything. Here's my childhood. And then that's when he was like, I had a sister and um, and uh, my mom worked for this Longfellow guy. He was the one in control of the Fortunato Pharmaceuticals. Longfellow's introduction seemed like it was something out of a Wes Anderson film because you have a Roderick voiceover, but yeah. then Longfellow interrupts the voiceover and says a line and the way that it was shot, it seemed like it was something that Wes Anderson would have done. Yeah, no, I, I get you there. And so then um, it's pretty clear to the kids that uh, his mom, who is like his secretary, yeah. right, uh, had an affair with him. And um, and that's why they're his kids, actually. So later on, when the mom gets sick, they go to his house. But this guy's just a jerk. He's an asshole. Well, he's two-faced he- because whenever his wife catches him being a dick, he always turns around and acts like he's being super nice about it. Yeah, we're getting a little bit too, too finicky on that. But, like, he... Um, was not going to help when uh, Eliza got sick. And that was what the kids ultimately needed. So Eliza died. And that's when they bury her in the backyard as opposed to calling the cops because it's the 50s, I guess. And um, 
and, and then she wakes up and she, during a rainstorm she breaks out of the coffin and then she starts to strangle her kid but then realizes it's her kid and she then looked terrifying goes to oh you, you, yeah you like that and then she went to longfellow's place killed him and then died herself and that's how his right after started. right after stabbing longfellow yeah so what do you think that all meant and why are you saying that it didn't retain that horror like i get the introduction of the kids was all supposed to be funny but um, no i mean like you, what about that jump scare at the very end with the clown that that, wait, that got what? me what are you talking about well like when he opened the door to the car and there was a giant clown there are you kidding I don't me right that. now wow okay so you missed half the episode at the end he gets back after the funeral. He opens the door. There's a giant clown there that scares him. He falls over. He says, it's time. And he starts oh, okay. bleeding it's from time. the nose. And then he sees the, yeah, he sees the raven. I'm saying there's still going to be horror in this show. But after the first 20 minutes, you have Victorine doing surgery on a monkey. Oh, and have... she's doing heart surgery. And she's putting an artificial heart in it. That's what the Umbrella Academy connection as well. But, but the cool thing about that was they started arguing over Nightshade. Because apparently the Fortunato Pharmaceuticals was forcing them to use nightshade which is that like flower yes what if that was the thing that the mom had ingested or something she had taken too much of it she looked like she was in a coma she looked like she was dead they buried her she woke up from the nightshade and then went out and murdered the guy but she was still very sick and then died and since then that's just haunted his brain maybe I mean, that's that's a possibility. But you didn't see the comedy when you have Freddy. He's doing boing inside of his own house. He seems like he's the dumb character out of all yes, of them. Yes, they're all playing eccentric. And especially since they're using topical references as opposed to Haunting of Hill House, where everything, I know a lot of it took place in the past, but even the, the future stuff, it seemed like they were way more adult. These people are talking about TikTok, uh, Tucker Carlson, monkeys, again, on the operating table. Uh, the, the soundtrack is still somber, though. Like, you still get those famous concertos, but it's mixed with... With Pink Floyd and 80s hits and it, it just feels yeah less down to earth also Napoleon he's gay but he's cheating on his husband Leo with a fan he, oh that was just a fan yeah yeah and with the girl so he's bi so it seems like whenever they were introducing the characters which takes about I, I would say what 20 to 30 minutes out of the episode because this episode is all in all like an hour it was I wasn't looking at the timestamps it but seemed like whenever they were doing that it was funny and I give the show credit for that because it seemed more funny than Mike Flanagan usually is and you mentioned Mark Hamill was he your favorite character I would say Camille at this point out of all the characters we've seen she seems the most sarcastic favorite out of scene all of them favorite scene when uh when roderick has uh, the whole family around and he says 50 million dollars the on the floor scene. yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no uh the, the one where he ends it with i'd be happy hunting yes where the um, actual show is going to take place at 50 so million dollars in the past more. having hired his kids to find the mole who has is uh leak, leaking information to the district attorney and uh going to get them in trouble again so reminiscent not the part where like he's putting a bounty on someone's head but of the painkiller dope sick um purdue uh, pharma series um about that family because like yeah there's no way that that wasn't influenced with this the the scene i really liked was the ending scene i can't even tell you really why not the one with him falling over but the one where they go back to the 80s and we finally get to see uh carla gugino again Mm -hmm. like it just feels like she is the show in a lot of these like as soon as i saw her i was like oh that's awesome to see her and then also like you said matt's harrison or Zach Guilford, um, who, who was playing a younger version of the main character, uh, Bruce, um, Bruce Greenwood's like younger self. Yep. Yeah, so I thought that, like, for some reason, that scene just, like, it felt like it was really well no, done. No, that was probably my second favorite scene. I don't even know why, though. I think Can it was just the vibe. They, they clearly had committed a crime. 
they're going to this place. They're dressed up as the Great Gatsby. Um, what are their names again? There's Jay Gatsby, and then there's Daisy Buchanan. Um, the funny thing about that is, aren't they supposed to be like lovers? And yeah, and they're brothers. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. brothers. So I don't know why they're dressed up. In those but days. they also talk but, politics, and then they're not allowed to. And then the bartender decides that she's going to have a drink yeah, with Carla them. Gugino yeah, Carla decides that. Verna, who uh, anagram for Raven. Yes. Um, if, if you didn't pick that up. Uh, and, and so yeah, overall, just seeing everybody. Uh, gave me flashbacks of like, oh, this is why I really like this uh, this type of show. Definitely going to continue watching it. I would give it an eight. The, again, the only predictable part felt like, oh, I, I also, I didn't like the scene where they're like, one sip of this is uh, your life savings or something like that. Because I've seen it in so many scenes. Like, they've done that before, right? Yes. With me, I want to withhold judgment for this episode. But since it is based on pre-existing source material, I will rate Very it. Very loosely. I'm like, going to give it an 8 out of 10 as well. Clearly, they didn't have an opioid epidemic in the 1800s. It's just, the thing is, this show has to be more than just finding the mole. It obviously is going to be. And the more to this show is what I'm afraid of i'm afraid that mike flanagan might not have a plan i'm afraid it might end up like midnight mass if i'm being completely honest midnight mass ended up being kind of a cool twist it I was thought. a fine show but i didn't think that did you, it was did you great. watch it to the end yes i watched all what was it eight episodes i mean there's some crazy vampire stuff that goes down there like i as far as vampire shows go i, th- I thought it was a pretty good one um this one i don't think they're going to go quite as uh, as nuts but um there, there's going to be an explanation and I, i'm going to stick around to hear what it is uh, it, it's also cool to see the guy from E.T. again because he's been in almost every one of his projects, Henry uh, Thomas. Again, you're talking about Freddie. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm talking about Frederick. Um, and then uh, who else? Uh, Tanya Miller, cool to see her again. Apparently some of these people, like uh, Juno, the stepmom character, right, who's yes. kind of there, she's from the Midnight Club, but she's also, she got the job there for being a TikToker. Wait. So she was on TikTok. She got the job. <laughs> then she quit TikTok to go go work on that. Um, and then one of the kids, uh, Lenora Usher, the the girl, is from Doctor Sleep as well. When did when did the Midnight Club come out? You know, uh, a couple of years ago. It's, okay. Yeah, it's fairly recent. And I know that he's working on some more projects. I and I forgot who was in them, but uh, you can assume it's going to be a lot of these people. Um, we're not supposed to, again, feel much sympathy for these people. So that, that would be a little bit of a drawback compared to haunting. No, I I think, I think it helps the show because you don't have to care as much. But like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but that's part of the element, that emotional impact that hit you when like bad stuff would happen to those characters. But, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed this one. Bye. Bye.